As we come now before the very word of God, if you'd like to read with me, turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew in chapter 2. I'll read here in just a moment, just a few verses from Matthew 2. But as always, before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we, we hope in your words. These things are sweet to us. They're life for us. Would you help us now? to hear you, to think upon you, to take these things to heart that we would follow you. Lord, as we open your words, speak, for your servants are listening. Would you guide us now by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is Matthew in chapter 2. I'll begin here in the, begin, or in the middle of the narrative. So if it sounds like it's cutting in the middle of the story, that's because it is. Uh, this is Matthew in chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 11. And going into the house, they, the they there are the wise men, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This is the word of God. Now, I know this may sound like a Christmas text. We're just kind of riding the wave from Christmas and continuing to read on through in, in Matthew as the story continues to unfold. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the coming of the Magi or the wise men, whatever you want to call them, these men who came to King Jesus, specifically in the way that they followed the star. I won't rehash all of that, but we looked at some of the ways that the Lord works in spite of our sin. In fact, sometimes even through our very sin to save people from sin. That was last week. Today, however, we're beginning to look at what comes after the Magi. Because the visit of these men to Jesus triggers a set of events that are tragic. It's because of the coming of the Magi that King Herod, muscly guy who's in power at the time, is now aware of this child who's being called the King of the Jews, this child that's now a potential rival. And so, of course, Herod can't allow that threat to continue. So he's going to attempt to destroy Jesus before Jesus is even out of diapers. 
And so he does something that's truly awful, something that tears apart many hundreds, thousands of of families. We'll have to hold our breath and look at that scene next week when we get there. Now, to be clear, I'm not blaming this tragedy on the wise men. This is Herod's doing and not theirs. Nor am I saying that they should not have come to Jesus. They could not have predicted what would have come after them. I'm just saying that this is unintentionally part of their visit, that King Herod is now out to try to kill the child Jesus. And we know that Herod doesn't succeed, of course. Jesus lives on until the day that he's crucified much later in his life. The Lord is still the ultimate king who will secure his purpose. But today we want to look at the main way in which Jesus is diverted from the clutches of Herod. We're going to look at something that keeps happening in and around this scene. We're going to focus our attention on the way that the Lord uses dreams. That's our focus. How does the Lord use dreams? You may have noticed in this text there are two dreams that appear here. In verse 12, there's a dream that comes to the Magi where they're warned not to go back to Herod, but to go around him as they return home. And then Joseph in the next verse is warned in a dream to flee, take his, scoop up his family and, and head off to Egypt. Just in this text, there are those two verses. But if we look at the larger context in these first two chapters of Matthew, there are actually a total of five dreams in this larger scene. It starts when Joseph, uh, before Jesus is born, and Mary's pregnant, but they're not married yet, Joseph receives a dream that tells him, the angel of the Lord tells him not to fear to take Mary as his wife. So he goes on and marries her. After this scene, there are two more dreams that Joseph gets where he's told when and where to return home after he spent time in Egypt and Herod is long gone. But our question, so there's five total dreams here, is how does God use dreams? I mean, dreams is just one branch of the much larger tree that really matters for us. The the deeper question is really, how does God lead us? But we'll look at this one way that that he uses dreams. Now, we're not going to look at all dreams. Uh, This is not a psychotherapy uh, session. Uh, Particularly, we're going to look at what, what I'm calling dreams of divine decree, Uh, You know, that's a title I I made up. What I mean by that is dreams in which God intends to speak to a person, either to give that person an order or to tell them what has already been ordered. Dreams in which God is clearly speaking. Now, dreams of divine decree, it's a very complex subject. Some groups tend to overemphasize the use of dreams. Other groups tend to um, underemphasize the use of dreams. What we're after this morning is to just try to understand them. What does the scripture actually say about dreams of decree? And with that in mind, just because this is a complex subject, we're going to have to lean more on the teaching side today. We'll get, I hope, to a practical piece perhaps at the end, but but bear with me. This this is a a long teaching, I know, but but it's important for us. We've, We've 
I've combed through the Old Testament here uh, and in the New Testament to give us a framework of dreams. There are four major characteristics of dreams of divine decree that I want us to look at. I'll tell you the four ahead if, if you're the kind of person that likes to take notes or just know the framework. The characteristics are that they are rare, God-initiated, made clear, and non-transferable. We'll talk about those each one at a time as we get to them. Rare, God-initiated, made clear, and non-transferable. Let's look at the first characteristic of these dreams of divine decree. First, they are rare. One thing that is not rare in the scripture is God communicating with his people. We see it all over the place. And we, we even have the very Bible here with us because God has communicated with us. God wants us to know him. God has invested himself in the world that he made, and he communicates with the people who are his. He does this in a variety of ways throughout the scripture. Sometimes he does so in person. Not often, but sometimes. Sometimes God communicates through prophets, sometimes through what's called the Urim, uh, the Urim and Thummim, which we won't have time to talk about, but that's another thing. Sometimes through visions, which are different than uh, dreams, similar but not quite the same. And sometimes God communicates through dreams. God does speak to people through dreams. But we also need to recognize that in the whole span of the Bible, you know, we've got over 2,000 years of, of human history packed into this book, all these various times and people groups and places, and in all of those occasions throughout the entire Bible, the number of specific times where God speaks to a person through a dream is roughly two dozen times in the whole Bible. It's a rarity. In the Old Testament, there's a few famous inc incidents. Uh, you may already know about these. Joseph, not Joseph, uh, the husband of Mary, but uh, Joseph, the guy with the technicolor dream coat, you know? Uh, Joseph and Daniel, but they're the small minority. In the New Testament, we now get these five dreams here, right at the beginning of Matthew, bam, 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 right in a row. And we might assume then from that that maybe Jesus has come now and there's this new means. People are going to have dreams all over the place, but that's just not the case. In the rest of the New Testament, there's only one other time, aside from these instances, where a dream of divine decree occurs. It's at the end of Matthew, and it's Pilate's wife who gets it about the coming death of Jesus. These things in general are still rare. There's dreams are not a new or increasing way of, that God communicates with us. In fact, if we were to read in, in Jude, the letter from Jude, Jude has some really sharp words for people that he calls ones who rely on dreams. Dreams are not meant to be a source of our daily bread. Which means that the vast majority of our nighttime dreams are not a word from the Lord. I don't know what they are. I don't know what their purpose is, but they're generally not a word from the Lord. So most people, both in the Bible and now, even Christians, will never even experience even one dream of divine decree. Of divine decree. So if you forget your dreams... 
Uh, you know, you have that sense of like, oh, I had a dream, but now I can't remember what it is. Or if you just never remember your dreams in the first place, do not worry that you have missed an important message from God in that. The main way that God communicates with us is through his word. We have the very word of God in the Bible in our laps. He does not mainly communicate through dreams. It's rare. That's the first characteristic. Let's look at the second Second characteristics of these dreams is that they are God-initiated. They are God-initiated. So this scene in Matthew, we've got Joseph and his family, Mary and, and Jesus, who are clearly in a lot of danger from Herod. He wants to kill the child and probably also, just as a side note, the family. But none of the dreams that either Joseph or the Magi received come as a response to them asking God what to do. God guides them in these dreams before they even know to ask for help from him. So it's fine, of course, it's even a good thing, Scripture encourages this, for us to, to ask God for help to pray to God, to ask him for guidance. But nowhere in the Bible tells us where to try to get that insight, that guidance from our sleep. So it's generally not good practice to go, I'm going to take an Ambien and see what God says. I'm going to get something wild out of this. You know, dreams of divine decree are never sought out. They come unexpectedly. That is, they come by the sheer will and initiation of God as he determines. Now, as for the reasons why God initiates certain dreams and certain times when he does, it's according to his wisdom. We don't know all the reasons in his mind about this. But usually, when God initiates a dream of decree, he does so because there are really big implications around what's happening. So it's more than just about the dreamer making a personal decision. Should I buy this house? Should I buy this house? You know, even if the decision seems or really is important to the dreamer, usually this is about something that's going to impact much more people than just that person. So, of course, Joseph, in his dreams here with, with uh, Jesus and Mary, this dream saves his own skin, which is good, and that's important, but it's to save the life of the Christ child, the one who would be the savior of the world, that's a, a really big deal, a necessary thing to get him out of there. And so here comes this dream. The scope of impact is really big, usually, when God initiates these dreams. So the very first dream of decree that we see in the Bible comes to a guy that, whose name you may not recognize. It, it comes to a guy named Abimelech. Even if you're commonly in, in the Bible, you may not know that name. Abimelech is this king back, way back in Genesis chapter 20 in the days of Abraham. So, so even before Abimelech, I'll get to him in a moment, God had made these covenant promises to Abraham. You know, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and all of that. Abraham, who even though he's old, has no child, but he is promised to have a child with his wife Sarah. 
and that child will not just make him the father of many nations, he will be the father of the very people of God, the ones whom he would set his special blessing upon. That's the promise. So before this promised child is even born, Abraham and Sarah are now traveling through this land of Gerar where Abimelech is king, and Abimelech, the king of the area, looks at Abraham's wife Sarah and goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he decides to take Sarah as his wife. And Abraham lets him do that. He says, she's my sister, which I find strange and weird, but that's what happens. And, and so uh, Abimelech has now brought Sarah in, Abraham's wife, as his own wife. And before Abimelech, the king, can consummate, I'll say, for the sake of kids in the room, consummate the relationship that night he has a dream of divine decree from God. And the Lord says to Abimelech, you're a dead man. That's not a paraphrase, by the way. That's literally the text in the dream. Abimelech, you're a dead man. And my paraphrase in the rest of the dream is, she's already married to Abraham. If you touch Sarah, you will die. So Abimelech, the king, of course, then wakes up and uh, says, uh, Abraham, we need to have a chat and iron this out. Is there something here that you have not told me? And, and they fix it off, and Abraham and Sarah go on their way. But uh, the Lord initiates this dream now with, with Abimelech, not just because it would have been sin for him to take Sarah, although it would have been. It's because the Lord does not want any confusion about this child who's going to be in Sarah's womb that this is actually the son of Abraham, the son of the Lord's promise. This is the line through which Jesus himself will come. There's some really big implications for this, and so the Lord, in his providence, chooses to intervene with a dream. Not something they expected or sought, but the dream comes, and it's God-initiated. That's the second characteristic. Third, we're marching on here. Third characteristic of these dreams is that they are made clear. These dreams are made clear. Some dreams in the Bible are perfectly clear from the very start. You know, Abimelech gets a word directly from God. You touch her, you'll die. Clear enough. Got it. I'm, I, I, I'm out. Uh, you get, go on your way. Solomon, another example. You know, the famous wise Solomon had dreamed from the Lord, where the Lord specifically offers him in a dream to grant him one request of which he asks wisdom. Perfectly clear. Same with Joseph and the Magi here in Matthew. They're all clearly directive dreams. They, they didn't have to wake up and have a powwow to discuss what does this dream mean. You know, Joseph, the Magi clearly go off on their route. Joseph wakes up, and he packs up his family in the middle of the night, you'll notice, and heads off to Egypt. He does it immediately. He doesn't have to have a meeting with his wife to pause and discuss and try to interpret what the dream might mean. It's clear from the start. Some dreams are like that. Other dreams of decree, however, are not immediately clear. These are the weird ones the symbolic dreams that are a word from God but are depicted in some way. 
decree then is represented not through words, but through images. And these sorts of dreams do need interpretation from the outside. Not the dreamer himself interprets them, but someone from the outside who interprets the dream. Now, we don't have time to get into exactly how those symbolic dreams are interpreted. Even if we had time, well, there's just some mystery about some of how that works to me, too, even from the scripture. But there's a few things that we can say about these dreams that need interpretation. In the Bible, there's only two men in the whole scripture who claim the ability to interpret dreams. Joseph, in, back, way back in Egypt, and Daniel. And in both of those cases, both of these men attribute this interpretation power to God. They both are very clear. God alone is the revealer of mysteries. But they also give very specific, definitive interpretations that are correct 100% of the time. They're never flawed or a little bit off base. So our point here is whether the dream is clear on its own, clearly directive, or, or it needs some sort of interpretation and is made clear through that interpretation, either way, in the end, there is zero doubt about what the dream might mean. So people are not left to wonder, I th think this dream means this probably that never happens. Nor are we left wondering like, did I get that right? It sounds like it might have been right, but I'm not really sure if that's happening. That's probably not a dream of divine decree. When God intends to communicate, he will get his word across. So every dream of divine decree is made clear. That's the third characteristic. The fourth and final one, which may be the most confusing, the fourth characteristic of dreams of divine decree is that they're non-transferable. Just real quick, this is only for the cases of those symbolic dreams. You know, this is not really, doesn't really apply in direct dreams. So for Joseph and the Magi, no big deal. But I feel like it's still important for me to mention this. Here's what I mean by dreams being non-transferable. So, so if you get a wedding invitation, somebody's getting married, congrats to them. Hey, you're invited to this wedding. If you can't go to that wedding, or you don't want to go, let's say, Weddings are awful, I don't know. For whatever reason, you're not going to go to the wedding. You cannot just take that invitation and pass it on to somebody else instead. Say, I can't go. Here's an invite for you. It's non-transferable. That invitation is unique to you. It's given just to you. You can't just hand it out to someone else. The same is true of dreams of decree, that their meanings... Their decrees are unique to the person. So we see in the scripture a number of particular dreams and in their interpretations, some of the funny ones, like when the skinny cows get eaten up by fat cows. That happens way back in Genesis. There's a time where there's a fruit tree that's chopped down and left just a stump. You know, there's another dream where, where this loaf of bread rolls and hits this tent and topples it all down. Those are dreams, dreams of decree, but they're not, not transferable, which means that we can't say, or at least we shouldn't say if we're wise, hey, 
I had a dream with skinny cows in it. Mine probably means the same thing. Or, you know, I had a dream where there was a tree that fell down. Maybe mine means the same thing. There's no standard set of, you know, stock interpretations of dreams in the Bible. Every dream of decree is tailored to that dreamer, which means this. If you see a book, I guess it could be any medium, but books tend to do this. If you see a book that claims to be a spiritual guide to interpreting dreams, ignore it. If you own a book that claims to be a spiritual guide to interpreting dreams, better off just tossing it out or burning it or however you want to get rid of it. I I don't know. There's no basis in the Bible for such things, which means authors that write those things aren't getting their answers from the Bible or from God. They're getting from somewhere outside of God, which doesn't make them very trustworthy. You are never going to find God-given interpretation of dreams from something you read on the Internet. Someone on the TV or radio will not be able to interpret your dreams because they're non-transferable. Which means, let me be clear, sidestep here, perhaps dreams do have some psychological value, meaning if, if I have a dream of, you know, my teeth falling out or I'm flying or... I'm naked in public, or I have scary clowns. I don't know, maybe you've had those dreams before. It's possible, maybe, that that says something about me, (laughs) says something about my fears, says something about my desires. There might even be some psychological guide that's standard that might help us think through those things. I don't know. That's a matter for psychologists and science. That's not my business. But, But this is an entirely different matter. It's very different to claim a spiritual authority over the dreams, to interpret them as as decrees of God. God is zealous. I don't know what other word to use for that. Zealous, intense to protect the proper hearing of his word. Which is why in the Old Testament, he told Israel in in Deuteronomy that if there arises a dreamer among you who falsely interprets dreams in, in a way that leads you astray, that person is to be put to death. Dreams are not just a matter of cutting and pasting, matching symbols of their, uh, and their meanings. A true dream of decree from God is non-transferable. Now, give me two or three more minutes. There's a lot to unpack, okay? Dreams, just to summarize, they're rare, they're God-initiated, they're made clear, they're non-transferable. Okay, great. A lot of teaching there. Some might say, Nathan, wonderful. Good stuff to know. Kind of interesting, maybe a little bit. I don't know. I also have dreams about teeth falling out. I don't know. But I have no idea what to do with all of this. What am I supposed to do with these things? You know, it's complex. It feels in some way in a world that's out, outside of ourselves. Let me suggest at least three things that we might carry forward with this. I'll be quick here. Three things that we might carry forward from this. We want to ask the Lord to make us receptive 
Not that we're asking for dreams. We just want to know how to keep the door open. The Lord speaks in many ways, mainly through his word. That's where we focus our attention. That's where we learn who he he is and how we're to live. But there is also time that God speaks through dreams. It's rare, but it happens, which means it might happen to you. It could. If it does, please tell me. I want to know. Uh, And if it does, we want to be open to actually hear what God has to say. You know, there are many reports now, in the Muslim world in particular, of, of people saying that Jesus visited them in a dream. And that he told them to go to a particular person or to a particular church, some Christian, and that church or person shared the gospel with that person, and they came to genuine faith in Jesus. Uh, We should not discount such a thing. We want to be receptive to the work of God, even through dreams. That's one, to be receptive. The second is to ask God to make us shrewd about this. Receptive, but also shrewd. That We'd know how to keep the door open, but also know how to keep the door closed. You know, in the past several years, I have heard an embarrassing number of Christian leaders make all sorts of claims to divine knowledge through visions and prophecies and dreams. That means they're not just giving their opinions, they're equating their words with the very word of God. And that is dangerous. Christians need to learn to be skeptical of such things. I mean, especially these past couple of years in the pandemic, I've heard leaders claim prophetic, dream, visions, whatever you want to call them, claims from God that say opposite things. God revealed to me that churches need to keep meeting out of worship to God. And I hear another say, God revealed to me that churches need to stop meeting out of love for their neighbor. Do we really think that God is giving out contradictory dreams and revelations to people? That means that people are passing off their own words as the word of God. That's a scary thing that would keep us from having the important discussions and wrestles that we need to have. We also need wisdom to be shrewd against such definitive claims that God told me such and such. Third, final thing that we want to do with this, we want to ask the Lord to make us faithful. To make us faithful. That is, I assume most of us as believers, we want to follow God. We don't always. That's where sin comes from, I know. But in, in somewhere in us, through the work of the Spirit, we want to follow God. And so if the Lord has a particular path for us, a particular thing for us, a, partic- a particular place for us, we want to know. And a, a lot of people then fear that we're going to to miss it, miss that path, or or somehow misunderstand the path, that I'll I'll end up accidentally taking the wrong way, that I was supposed to go to Egypt from the dream and I ended up in Australia instead. You know, we trust that the Word of God, the Bible, is sufficient to guide us in all holiness and wisdom. And if there is ever a particular way that the Lord would have you to go, He will act. He will. 
through dreams or otherwise. Just as he acted for Joseph and the Magi, his purposes will be carried out. So trust him in that. Would you pray with me? Lord, I know to many of us, myself included, these dreams feel very foreign, but whatever may come in these things, help us. Help us to be receptive and shrewd and faithful. We know that your ways are always right. We want to trust you however you lead. Would you work that in us now? Your power is great, and we will follow you. And we give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.